Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is Rufus Edmondson, who uh, has served as Attorney General of the State of North Carolina, uh, Secretary of State of North Carolina, ran for governor, and of course had a very interesting career of 10 years of service with Senator Sam Irwin in Washington, and especially with the Watergate. We've talked about the Watergate Commission a number of times, but those were certainly interesting times. I was riveted to the television screen during those hearings. It was a fascinating period of time. And of course, uh, there you were sitting right behind the Senator. And um, we've talked about uh, so many of the things, but one of the most interesting things that occurred during that period of time was when you found out about the, the taping system. Uh, tell us how that happened. Yeah, but because you know, Don, that, that has another North Carolina connection to it. Our friend Gene Boyce, a very prominent attorney and friend of yours, was up there working as uh, uh, one of the associate counsels for the Watergate Committee. And as we did with all witnesses, before they went on the stand publicly before the American people, they were in executive session because every lawyer will tell you that don't ask a question unless you know what the answer is going to be. So we, I wasn't in there. Gene and his crew had a man named Alexander Butterfield in, in executive session and because of Gene's quick thinking and knowing that he he had taken a cue from something that John Dean said about the Don John Dean said one time I thought I was being taped in the White House when I was with Nixon, and so uh, Gene Boyce's crew asked the question of Alexander Butterfield: Is there a taping system in the White House? And he revealed it was, and that was one of the one of the strongest points toward the downfall. Of Nixon and, and remember John Dean had been saying all along that the president was guilty up to his eyeballs and so when the taping system was revealed uh, that would tell the whole story but we had to get had to get, to get a hold of the tapes and that's when I came into play when Senator Urban at one point uh, called Richard Nixon and said mr. president why don't you give up those tapes voluntarily he said no, I will not. They're, they're executive privilege. And Senator Irvin said, that's executive poppycock <laughs> is the word he used. And so then I took it upon myself to uh, deliver the subpoena, which was the first time, Don, in history of the country that a committee of the Congress had subpoenaed a sitting president. And I'll never forget that day. It was the hottest uh, sweltering day in July the 23rd, 1973. I, I could hardly breathe in the back of a police car, and somebody said, well, you, I guess you were back there this time for something decent. I said, well, you don't need to go into that now. I was, I was there legally. And One of the things I've always wanted to ask you about that is, now, uh, of course, the, 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 the contents of the tape, tapes were extremely damaging, and uh, as you said, probably uh, uh, was the downfall of the pre- what was the downfall of the president, no question about that. So uh, if when the tapes had been disclosed, the taping system, if Richard Nixon had said, wait a minute, those were private conversations, the other people didn't know they were being taped, therefore I'm going to destroy them. You know what? And had destroyed them, in other words, made it past tense. Okay, what would have happened at that point? Don, I think he could have done that. And not many lawyers agree with me. He, He could have done it and not suffered any consequences, I think. I think it was Not his. anywhere close to what ultimately no, happened. No, no. He, he, I, I think he could have destroyed the tapes, his personal property. 
his own his own recordings, and he was he was allowed to do that as long as one party to a conversation knows that it's being taped, it's legal. And I think to this day we would not have solved Watergate whatsoever because all you would have had would have been the word of John Dean that the president knew it, and I do not think you would have had anybody removed removed from office, but for the discovery of the tapes. And I think Nixon could have discovered the could have destroyed them. Uh, but you know what his 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 self worth, and he thought so much of himself that he couldn't bear. Don to destroy his own words because he thought he'd be losing such a great part of history. And so he outpreserved himself. He 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 by not destroying those tapes led to his uh I'm gonna call it an excommunication from office because he knew that if he he had been told by the Republican Party that if if he didn't leave he would be impeached and he would be then convicted in the Senate. And I remember one of them, Barry Goldwater, said, and I'd be one to vote for it. Yeah. So that's a great difference in what's happening today about all this impeachment talk and this and that. You you, you had a Senate that had some people in there that, that thought through the issues. Uh, so we, we have a lot of parallels, and we have not a lot of parallels. Well, it's so interesting that, uh, of course, Nixon knew exactly what was on the tapes, and he knew if it ever came out, he was toast. And that's the reason I just wonder why he just didn't he destroy ne- He them. never believed, Don, that the Supreme Court would vote to let to let them uh, divulge the tapes. And, of course, the Supreme Court voted 8-0. to zero. One person recused themselves. I keep hearing people on TV talk about it was 9-0. to zero. It was 8-0 to zero because one person uh, decided not to vote on it for a conflict. And he never believed that the court would order those tapes released. When were you in? When we finally got the tapes, were you in listening? To, did, did you actually listen to some? I of listened them? to some of them, and they are hilarious. He, he's funny. He he has these uh, fits of, of dislike of people. And I used to say he can outcuss my aunt Jenny when she was alive. Now she could do some cussing, <laughs> especially when a fox would get in the hen house and get some some hens. Aunt Jenny, but Aunt Jenny, okay. she she could do some cussing, okay. and this guy could really do some cussing, and he didn't like particular people, particular uh, race, racial uh, people. Uh, he obviously didn't like the Jewish people. Uh, he was a very vain man, and and as Senator Irvin said, Nixon was afraid of freedom. Uh, I've later learned what Senator Irvin meant by that. Nixon was afraid that people might get to know him. Yeah. Well, he was. Uh, he was certainly. Uh, you know, why? Why is it that we have this uh, propensity to elect people uh, that uh, uh, are so vain? <laughs> I mean, really. And of course, I guess uh, you know you have to have some. Uh, uh, Ego to run for office in the first place. Uh, well, you've got to have some ego, but it can be overriding reason. And because, I mean, I think even the most ardent uh, Donald Trump fan will admit that he is certainly full of himself, uh, whether they like him or not. And not the only thing he's full of. But I didn't say that now. You I didn't either much. <laughs> but uh, but we have, we uh, for some reason or other, the electorate falls in love with these people. 
Well, there's cert- a certain set of people, and I have plenty of friends. That that's why I'm not being partisan here. I have plenty of friends who are great supporters of Donald Trump, and they say, well, that's just the way he is. Well, sometimes the way you are gets gets in the way of being a good diplomat or being a good president, and so that's for other people to judge and not me. What uh, What's the most overlooked change in current-day politics compared to, say, back in the 1970s and 80s when you were so very active? The personal viciousness, Don. In fact, today, with my personality, I don't think that I could, I'd be a good candidate. As much as I like people, as much as I'm good at campaigning. You've got to be, have thick skins these days. I, d- I don't think I could do it uh, because the viciousness and the personal attacks on you and your family are the big differences now. That we were getting that way in 84. We got a little bit that way when uh, Skipper Bowles and, and, uh, was running against Holsizer. He Skipper ran some pretty tough ads. But the advent of television and negative ads and negative ads has made all the difference in the world because now the the consultants want you to attack, 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 and that seems to have been the ruination. And and another thing too, the third the party har- money, the har- horrible case of you uh, of what was common cause versus uh, uh, I'm I'm not, I'm not quoting the one, but. Third-party money flooding the system has virtually ruined decency in American politics. Yeah, because everybody can claim they didn't ha- didn't approve it and so forth, no. when in fact you know there has to be some cooperation <laughs> in uh, most of those cases. This is uh, one of the things as a broadcaster when uh, uh, we uh, have to run ads that we disagree with, but uh, right. it's mandated. and. Uh, uh, you know, what most people don't know is how many times we reject that copy and send it back for revision. Oh, I did not know uh, that. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, we uh, some of the ads, uh, I, I guess probably 50% of the contents change before it finally hits the air to get, get it well, even are, within the Is that bounds. a standard thing or is that just the Curtis Media? No, that's that's pretty standard. That's pretty standard. By the way, the name of that case was uh, Citizens United. Yeah. And that's, that's the one that's just totally, totally – turned American politics into into a waste bin. Well, it, it, it's uh, certainly made life uh, tough on broadcasters because we very often are forced to run ads that we know are full of half-truths, uh, and, uh, and yet uh, apparently they work. Apparently they work. Rufus Edmondson is our guest. He is uh, uh, the author of a new book, That's Rufus, a memoir of Tar Hill Politics, Watergate, and Public Life, and we'll talk about how you can get your copy of this book. Uh, well, let's talk about it right now. How can you get your copy of this book? Well, you, the Museum of History, uh, well, by the time that this uh, program airs, will have had a, a grand opening on the 30th, and they will have a supply of books at the Museum of History. You can get the, the thing through Amazon.com. You can get it from McFarland Publishing Company. And if you get in desperate straits, you can call me, and I can get I can find you one somewhere. Okay, Rufus Edmondson, our guest, and we'll be back with one final segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. The entire world watched. They watched each step down the rungs of that small ladder, one after another, and waited with great anticipation for that last step. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. At that moment, humanity saw the impossible become the possible, and today the sky is not the limit. Achievement. Pass it on. A message from the Foundation for a Better Life. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Rufus Edmondson is our guest. He's been on our program a number of times. So he and I have shared experiences as students at Chapel Hill, and of course, he's the pride and joy of Boone, North Carolina, having served as Attorney General of North Carolina, Secretary of State, candidate for governor, and many, many other interesting things that he's done through the years. Rufus, let's uh, let's talk about the the big news of this week because uh, this is this is something that uh, because of your background with Watergate, you are probably uh, very interested in, and that it was the press conference this week that Mueller had, and we are all discussing what it means and and what happened. I mean, yeah, it was very unusual. Don, I, I thought we'd never hear from Mueller again, except maybe through congressional testimony. I think what he did was he's saying, okay, look, I've made my report. I don't know what more I can say about it and not violate some oath or some secrecy. <clears throat> but I think what he was really doing is saying, look, Congress, now it's up to you. Uh, he, he certainly did not exonerate the president like the president says he did. Uh, he just said, I've made my report, and I did not exonerate the president. So, Congress, now it's up to you to do whatever you think to do, and they're going to have to, to buckle down and decide whether or not they're going to institute impeachment proceedings. I personally wouldn't do it. I, uh, the courts are going to have to weigh in here on, on, on all this matter, cause, like they did in Watergate. And I, I don't know why people don't go back, especially in the administration, and read something about Watergate because no good came of Watergate. And in the end, the courts came down in favor of being separation of powers, and the Congress has the right to uh, ask for information and investigate. People do not seem to learn from history. Uh, And I I would suggest that the administration start studying Watergate because that is the way that they can find a way out of this thing uh, that is very burdensome right now because if, if, if it is as the administration says it is, Congress should... Congress has no more role than there to dish out a little bit of money here and there and pass a couple laws, and that's about all the power they have 
if it's as the administration says it is. Uh, the budget committee, I guess you might say. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's about it. Well, I thought it was sort of interesting because he uh, uh, he made it clear, uh, I thought, exactly that he said, okay, the report stands on its own, and I, I, I'm just not going to answer any questions. Because well, it's, it's an old term, and, and uh, <clears throat> the law that calls res ipso loquitur, Latin, it means the thing stands for itself. That's exactly what he said. Let me ask you another question, uh, Rufus, that's uh, sort of on, been on my mind recently with all the people who are uh, changing registrations from either Republican to unaffiliated or from Democrat to unaffiliated. Um, it bothers me that this seemingly takes an awful lot of qualified people out of the pool to be candidates because if you're a registered unaffiliate, I guess you can run as a Democrat or Republican, but the party itself will probably take no, it out on you. The party will not endorse you. That's correct. No. And And what's happening is that it, frankly, a, a very strong two-party system has always been the best for democracy, in my opinion. Now, a lot of people, though, in some counties right now, the unaffiliates outnumber the Republicans and the Democrats. Th- Watauga County is about at that right now. Well, I think there's 30 counties now that plurality is uh, yeah. registered unaffiliated, something like that. And a lot of people do it for political purposes. A lot of people just get disgusted and say, well, I'm not going to register with either one of them because I'm tired of all the fighting and fussing. I can sort of understand it. But it's not exactly good for democracy because when you've got one party say that they stand for this and another party stands for that, then you have a choice. And right now with an unaffiliated candidate, uh, they're not going to get anywhere uh, very quickly anyway unless unless uh, they have something extremely unique about them. First, one of the you know one of the things that drew me to become a registered unaffiliate is the fact that you can choose which primary you will vote in. But I think it essentially takes all of those people out of the pool as a candidate, and that's the, that's the damaging part. <clears throat> it, it is. Because we don't have enough people who are in a position to serve to begin with, uh, especially in the General Assembly, which is it's a full-time job, but you it's a part-time salary. And so uh, there are only a handful of people that can afford that luxury of running and serving. You know, Don, they're going to have to decide what, whether they really do want a part-time uh, legislature or a full-time because right now, as you say, only the, the wealthy and the retired with some good funds yeah. can do it. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, uh, if you live in the middle part of the state, it's not that difficult to serve. But if you live in the extreme west or the extreme east, uh, it's just burdensome to well, You can to get to Atlanta up. quicker yeah. from, from Murphy than you, you can from <laughs> yeah. Up in Murphy. Whatever happened to Rock City? All those billboards that said, you see seven states from Rock City. Is Rock City still there? I I assume it is. I love those things on the barn barn sides. Yeah, that was uh, – I've never been to – have you ever been to Rock City? Never have in my life. I used to wonder, was there a real Rock City? But uh, supposedly you can see seven states from Rock City. Yeah, I see Jason looking very perplexed over there. I guess Rock City would be way back in the corner of – uh, around Cherokee or it must Mur- be Murphy or somewhere up there. I never saw it. Well, I, I saw the barns, but I haven't seen a sign in forever. So that's that's something we need to pass a law that reestablishes Rock City and Burma Shave. Yeah, uh, Burma Shave will get signs too. Uh, Jason also doesn't know anything about that. <laughs> So, Rufus, as you look at the state of North Carolina right now and the many challenges we have, what do you think are the two or three things that stand out as things that concern you as you look ahead uh, for 
the next uh, five to ten years. What what things concern you about this growing state? We are uh, growing like leaps and bounds, and and uh, we've got all sorts of challenges. What do you look at and say? Okay, these are the three or four things that really bother me. Well, the one that bothers me is is the not planning for transportation the way we should. You cannot pave over the entire state of North Carolina when its number one industry is is uh, tourism. Uh, there's got to be a better way to move people around, and I'm not talking about the usual. Uh, I know you're going to have not have the New York subway stuff here and this and that. But there's got to be a better way, better way to move people around. I'm concerned about their prisons. I believe that we are putting too many people in jail right now because we have harsh sentencing guidelines, and that seems strange coming from a guy like me, John, Don, that put more people in jail than probably anybody else. Uh, we need to get away with these mandatory sentences and, and try to rehabilitate people on drug stuff rather than throwing everybody in jail. And the other one is we've got to, got to, got to preserve our natural resources. You cannot allow <coughs> polluters to destroy this state because it is so beautiful and so wonderful. And the, the easing up of the environmental rules to me is a big mistake. Well, uh, we certainly, and of course, growth brings its own problems. And of course, we've got this inequality or uh, imbalance between the haves and the have-not counties that is also a major concern. No, oh, there's no question about it. When you look at rural North Carolina, they're left out in every respect. Uh, and I think broadband internet is one of the big problems there, although I'm not a broadband guy. Uh, I'm not very technically savvy, but I, I believe it's time to do something about broadband for everybody. Well, we hear that a lot on this program. Rufus Edmondson and his new book, That's Rufus, A Memoir of Tar Heel Politics, Watergate, and Public Life. I'm assuming this copy is mine. Uh, you are correct on and, that. And I want you to autograph it before you leave. And then I'm looking forward to reading it because I think I've gone through a lot of this uh, whole time period. And it's going to be fascinating for me. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that, or if you'd like to share it with a friend. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. And we'll be back again next week at the same time, same station, with another edition of Carolina Newsmakers. Till next week, have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.